change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Pod Scooby. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, the last time we convened, we both gave out that CFL pyramid, sparked a lot of debate, a lot of engagement, a lot of different opinions on social media. We got a lot of reactions to what we did is what I'm trying to say here. Was there any that you saw that maybe changed your opinion on on one of the players you had in a in a tier or anything that sort of surprised you with, you know, people thinking someone should be higher or lower? Uh, nothing really that changed my mind on any of these guys, but, uh, you know, there's obviously the, there's been a little bit of hate towards Mazzoli ranked as, uh, the second tier, um, from, well, from a certain, certain, uh, Twitter user and a couple other guys too, but, you know, I just, I just can't see him moving down. I don't see Vernon Adams as good as Mazzoli or Jake Mayer. Maybe Jake Mayer will be, but at this point in time, I'm not putting him ahead of Mazzoli. So, uh, to me, he's perfectly ranked in that second tier, but otherwise than that, I'm keeping the list the same. Yeah. The, the, the Mazzoli thing was, was a weird reaction. Jake Mayer, the idea that Jake Mayer would be a tier two guy, meaning a top three quarterback. I'm just like, I, I get Calgary's pedigree of producing great quarterback after great quarterback. I'm just not ready to go there with him yet. And again, this is, a, these are living, breathing documents. Like we are going to probably come back to these maybe mid season. You and I should do this again with some of these lists because we're going to do a bunch of these. We got a running back one coming up today that I think is going to be a lot of fun. But maybe we can revisit these things later in the season, maybe during a Ticats bye week or something when we're looking for something to talk about. And and we can, you know, opinions change when when guys play more games. Maybe Taylor Cornelius becomes an MOP. This like you never know, right? I took some heat, of course, from Argo fans for my ranking of Chad Kelly. But I didn't see any opinions from anyone else that swayed me. Like, I stand by what I said. I think I'm even more steadfast in my resolve that he won't be the second. Like, so many people, based on so little evidence, are predicting this guy to be the the next big CFL quarterback. And my response to that is, remember Johnny Manziel? Remember Jonathan Jennings? Quinton Porter? Like, how many, especially, like, Quinton Porter was a guy that went to a big American school, went to Boston College. Johnny Menzel obviously won the freaking Heisman Trophy, like was a the best player in college football one year. Like the idea that Chad Kelly based on, oh, he won them the Grey Cup. It's like, are we already revisionist historying the the end of that game? Like Enoch Mwamba and Robbie Smith won that Grey Cup. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Kelly. He obviously had to put that drive together to get them into the end zone and take the lead. But if Robbie Smith doesn't block that field goal, we're talking about a Bombers three-peat, not Chad Kelly being – and that to me is why I think it's so so silly to overvalue a player like him because is it really 
swaying on the fact that a field goal was made or missed. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, okay, I'll just come on and say it. Like, there was another show out there. One of the hosts had Chad Kelly as the best quarterback in the CFL. They did a, t- a one to five list, and one of them had Chad Kelly at number one. Now, I didn't listen to the show, but I did comment on Twitter that this was clearly just a like, great troll job. I'm, and look, I'm all here for the engagement. We put these lists together. Uh, some of it's controversial, and we're trying to spark a debate and have a co- dialogue and have a conversation. It's great. But he said in a statement that like he wrote that I wrote my thing. And he wrote back to me saying like, well, you have to know what my criteria is for it to make sense. And the only possible criteria I could come up with is he ranked the quarterbacks based on who won the last game they played. So the guy who won the last game is number one. And that would be Chad Kelly. But if that's I don't know for sure if that's what it is. But if that's that's what he did, that's a really stupid way to judge who the best quarterback is because then it's just, okay, well, we'll go down the list. So who won? And it's like, okay, so your quarterback, your quarterback rankings would be Kelly Caleros, Harris, Jake Mayer, and Dane Evans at that point. Like would, would anyone have that as their top five? Like, I, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. So the Chad Kelly stuff was fun. I'm sure if, if he has a big game early in the season, I'm going to hear about it. I'm sure if he doesn't have a big game and is, is not as great as everyone thinks, I'll hear crickets from the same people. But I mean, these things are, like I said, they're living, breathing documents are going to evolve throughout the year. But I think right now, Chad Kelly being in that fifth tier, I know you had him fourth, but in that lower echelon of the, of the league, I think is completely fair. So I don't know. Yeah, it's just like too much. It's too small of a sample size to really judge to like put him at number one in the league uh, above guys like Caleros I and Oliva Mitchell. For, forget Taylor. first. Forget mm-hmm. that. I'm not putting him above guys like Taylor Cornelius. Taylor Cornelius started 20 games in this league. Chad Kelly has started one. I'm sorry, but you might not like, I know you like Taylor Cornelius, but I'm not putting a guy with that little experience. Cornelius is to me, Cornelius has shown just as much upside and and it is a larger sample size and more upside than, than Kelly has because we just haven't seen enough. And that's, that's kind of where I'll, I'll end it. But if you have more to say, please feel free. And I think it's that, um, not just Argo fans, but CFL fans in general want there to be this exciting quarterback mm. like a Kelly with that swagger and all that, all that stuff. They want but, the next big thing. Yeah, exactly. And I, I want that too. I want great quarterbacking in this league, but you just can't anoint him yet. You know, the king of the CFL because he just hasn't shown enough. And the thing that a little bit, it worries me a bit and it doesn't worry me personally because he's the Argo quarterback and you know, if he bombs and so be it. But I think that he has maybe too much confidence. He's like, I heard some of the statements he was saying during this offseason, and it, it seemed focused on I'm getting back to the NFL, NFL, yep. NFL, NFL. And if you're not if you're not focusing on where you're at, you're not going anywhere, but you're not making it, you know, a year in the CFL. You'll be gone in the CFL. You'll be going to some other league. So um, I think for him to succeed he really needs to focus on where he's at and not worry about the NFL stuff because you know you're going to get you're going to get lost if if you're thinking about the next level. Yeah, your head has to be where your feet are at and right now his feet are in Toronto and if he's thinking beyond this year and oh, I'm going to parlay one season of success with the Argos into he, it's he's going to be in for a rude awakening, you know. Mm-hmm. Willie Jefferson, Jackson Jeffcoat, Simone Lawrence Jagger Davis, the list goes on and on. Nathan guys Rourke, even guys like Nathan yep. Rourke that went down there. I mean, 
I'm starting to wonder if we over a value or like, I don't know. Um, because he performs so well in the CFL, did we think that he's better than he actually is? You know what I mean? And maybe he is that good, but the coaches in the NFL look at him as a CFL guy, right? Oh, we're going to have to rely on that CFL guy. And like, I know that there's respect for the CFL, but eh, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out there, but it's always tough jumping from the CFL to the NFL because there's just that factor of, uh, he was a CFL guy. Well, who's the last quarterback that really made the jump? Jeff Garcia? That had success? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because Ricky Ray didn't. Casey Printers didn't. Dave Dickinson didn't. Henry Burris Mm -hmm. didn't. Like, it's really in the last 25 years, it's it's Flutie and it's Garcia. And that's That's about it. it. And, I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. Like, I think Nathan Rourke... I, if you're asking me, is Nathan Rourke one of the 64 best quarterbacks, meaning should he be a top one or two quarterback in the NFL? I do think he is. But I also think Zach Caleros is. I think Bo Levi right. Mitchell was, you know, I, he, he maybe he could be again, but I think he was during his time in Calgary. Like, I, he could have easily been a backup quarterback, if not a start. Like, Nathan Peterman keeps getting work in the NFL, and I'm telling you, Nathan Peterman is, I don't think he would crack an, a CFL roster. You know what I mean? Like Josh are, Johnson. Josh Johnson. Josh Johnson been around. 340 years, but keeps mm-hmm. getting an opportunity because he's known down there. Like, I think some of these guys that played up here could play in the NFL, but I mean, it is what it is. Anyway, yeah. the quarterback pyramid stuff was fun. I'm sure we're going to have just as much fun with our new player pyramid that we're debuting this week with the running backs. But before we get into all that, let's talk some tie cats, Mike. Been a quiet couple of weeks for the black and gold. There's actually no real news to discuss. Despite that, we still have something Tiger Cats to talk about because we are going to continue our look at the team's roster ahead of the start of training camp, which happens in less than two months now. And uh, last time out, we obviously we covered the quarterbacks. Today, we're going to discuss the team's running backs and fullbacks. So let's start with the running backs. The Tiger Cats made a big splash in free agency when they lured James Butler away from the BC Lions on a lucrative two-year contract. Butler spent his first two seasons in the CFL with the Lions, carrying the ball a total of 311 times for 1,557 yards and nine touchdowns, while also catching 92 passes for 627 yards and five scores. Butler finished second in the league in rushing last season and was one of just three players to eclipse the 1,000-yard mark in 2022. Ticats also brought back Canadian running back Sean Thomas Erlington for a sixth season on a one-year deal signed just prior to the start of free agency in February. Uh, Erlington was an eighth-round pick of the Ticats in the 2020 or the 2017 CFL draft and has spent his entire five-year career in black and gold. In 62 games with the team, Erlington has carried the ball 191 times for 1,170 yards and six touchdowns while also catching 63 passes for 631 yards and three touchdowns. These are currently the only two running backs on Hamilton's roster, so much like with quarterbacks last time, I would expect him, and I think you would as well. The team's going to sign another one or two running backs before camp opens to create some competition. Last year, they had Don Jackson in the fold. Sean Thomas Erlington and Wes Hills was on the practice roster. So there's definitely going to be more than these two running backs on the roster once camp opens. So Mike, first question to you with when it regards the running backs, what do you make of this one, two punch the Ticats have this year in, in uh, Butler and Erlington? Do you like this, this group better than last year's that included Don Jackson and Wes Hills, or do you prefer the group that the team had a season ago? I'm going to have to go with this group. Um, I love me some Don Jackson, but he was just um, injured too much. So that was the one problem with him. But when he, when he was on the field, he was great. But acquiring James Butler, and I know that, you know, there's not a lot of stock put into running backs anymore. And, you know, if you sign a running back to a big contract, you're an idiot. But I think that James Butler is just, 
unique in the sense that he's a great blocking running back for pass protection. He's a great pure running back, just running the ball, you know, getting handed off the ball and he can catch the ball out of the backfield as well. So he's, he's a triple threat in my mind. So to get him was a huge move for them. And it's not even like, to me, it's more about protection than it is about running the ball or catching the ball. As we know, in a Tommy Condell that offense, they don't seem to run the ball as much as we'd like. Uh, now, we have seen him, though, run the ball in the past. I mean, we've seen him with West Hills late in the season last year. One game, they almost exclusively ran the ball. Yeah. Um, so, like, Tommy Condell can put the running stuff into the offense. It's not impossible. So, I, I like James Butler back there. And Sean Thomas Erlington has been a rock for this team for many years. You know, he had that major injury. We weren't sure if he was going to come back the same player. And maybe he's not, you know, the same guy as he was as a rookie. But he's still very productive when he gets the chance to touch the ball. And he's a Canadian. So I think, personally, I would give the slight edge to this year's running backs compared to last year's. Yeah, Butler hasn't shown any wear and tear. Like, in his two years in BC, he didn't really miss any time with injury. Can't say the same about Don Jackson. His entire career almost was plagued by injury. Uh, and, and the West Hills type of player, like, I think he was very one-dimensional. Like, maybe he was a, a decent pass blocker, but he couldn't catch out of the backfield, and he was a straight-line runner. Like, it was A to B in a straight line. He wasn't making anyone miss. He was he was running people over because he was a big dude. I think with, when you have a bring in a guy like James Butler, and I'm with you, like, people, like, you don't sign running backs to big contracts, but it's like, I, I don't I don't know, man. Like, it to me, that's just, like, I, I get it, but at the same time, it's like, Someone's if he can help the team, and if you know yeah, the team, he, who cares? Yeah. But I like what he, you mentioned the triple threat aspect of my. I I like that a lot. Sean Thomas Arlington has been with this team a long time. Like an eighth round pick, man, to have mm-hmm. this long of a career. There's guys in that draft that I I think we went over it a few weeks ago. There's guys in this in that in his draft class in the first round that didn't make one year, and and he's in he's in year six this season. So I'm I'm big I'm big on, on this on this twosome. I think this is a more versatile twosome than the one that we saw last year i think butler is the like and, and don jackson would have been as well but don jackson's a little bit older than james butler is but butler's the perfect running back for bo levi mitchell he likes running backs that can do it all butler can do it all I, i'm i'm really excited to see what he can do but that that will kind of bleed into the next question given what we know about hamilton's inability or maybe i should say lack of desire to run the football what do you expect from Butler in his first year with the team? Do you think he'll top a thousand rushing yards this year? Uh, yeah, I think he'll get to a thousand. You know, in an eighteen-game season, that's that's not really a high benchmark. So I think he'll get to a thousand, but I think he'll also have five hundred yards receiving. So he'll have a fifteen hundred yard uh, from scrimmage year, and uh, I think that'll be, you know, good enough to make this team go. Yeah, see, I don't know if he'll crack a thousand, but like if he's 850 rushing, 650 receiving, like that's like to me the idea of like pure rushing yards is I think a little overrated. You know what I mean? Like if if he puts together 1500 total yards of offense but does 750, 750, who cares, right? Like he's still mm-hmm, picking mm-hmm. up yards. If he scores, if he scores 10 touchdowns but four came on the ground and six came through the air, who cares? He found the end zone 10 times. You know, like I just. Yep the one criticism you can have of, of this move and paying him money is will the tie catch use him a lot. Now I've said before, I said when they signed him, when we did the show, he reminds me a lot of CJ Gable, but CJ Gable didn't get a lot of 
touches in this offense back in the day. Now, uh, he was another player who did deal with his fair share of injury, so that uh, contributed to him not putting up monster numbers. But we saw monster games from him, but it was it was in that triple threat role. It was catching out of the backfield. It was his immense ability, his good, almost couldn't even be equated with anybody else ability to to block in the passing game. And of course he would, he would run every now and then, but this team just never really established a run. So if there, to me, if there's a criticism of, of spending money on a guy like Butler, it is that the team has to find a way to use him. Mm-hmm. But like I said, if they use him in both the run and pass game, I'm I'm not going to care if, if every game he goes out there and he has 50 rush yards and 50 receiving yards and a touchdown, you know, every other week, you know what I mean? Like that's perfectly fine with me. What about Sean? And also, what, uh, oh, he, yeah, okay. he, yeah, he, uh, he also is second in the league for yards over t- or uh, rushes over 10 yards with 31 James Butler. I'm speaking of, and also second and tied for second in the league with rushes over 20 yards with five. So he has Big that explosion. Yeah. Explosion playability. So that's good. And that's something that this offense has kind of lacked last year. Don't you think like with the exception of a few plays to kind of to Tim white, maybe a couple to Steven Dunbar, this this wasn't an explosive offense. And this kind of goes back into what Bo said in his introductory press conference, wanting and this is something I think we'll we'll harp on all year, wanting to make the CFL exciting again. And that means big chunk plays. If you can get those in the running game, that really makes the quarterback's job easier, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think James Butler makes Bo's job a lot easier back there. I think he's gonna be a tremendous asset to him. Yeah, I think those two are gonna get along quite swimmingly. What about Sean Thomas Ellington? What do you expect out of him in year six with the team? I expect him to be a solid backup, a guy you can rely on, maybe for short yarded situations. I'm not sure how they're going to use James Butler, you know, if they're going to use him on like second and one or second and two and second and three. But but just a guy that can come in, fill in, and you don't lose anything. You know what I mean? Like he's going to get those that five yards rushing uh, per carry. He's going to he's going to contribute on offense. You're not going to lose um, a big chunk of your offense because James Butler's out. So, yeah, I just expect him to be that uh, solid backup. Same. Like, I think what we've seen out of him is what we're going to get. We're going to get – there's going to be a couple of big plays throughout the year where he's going to pick up 50, 60 yards, maybe score a touchdown or or two or three, and he's going to come in and he's going to do his job when he – like like he's always done. Like, he's a a Mm -hmm. very steady, reliable player, and I think think that's why he's been able to maintain his position on this team for so many years. We've seen a lot of – Jackson Bennett's a guy who's now in Ottawa who the team drafted and swapped to running back, but he's no longer here. Sean Thomas Erlington still is. He's there's a re, he's he's gone through Ken Austin, June Jones, and now Orlando Steinhauer. The regimes just keep using him. His Canadian passport obviously helps, but he is a very talented, very versatile player. And I think that's the big thing that he brings. It's not just what he can do rushing the ball, but what he can do catching the ball as well. We know that if they need to, he can go out in the slot. We know that he can he's been doing stuff in the return game. On mostly on kickoffs, but he has that versatility to his game that makes him kind of indispensable. So I'm with you. I expect to see what we've seen out of him the entire time and a, a couple of big plays throughout the year that gets people on their feet at Tim Hortons Field. Moving on to the fullbacks, and the Ticats have three of them on their roster, including former first overall pick Jake Burt and fellow two fellow third-year men in Felix Grand Gauthier and Miles Manilow. The Ticats have not gotten anywhere near the type of production from Burt that they hoped they would when they selected him with the top pick in the 2021 draft. A lot of that, however, is due to injury. Burt missed his entire rookie season with a quad injury and played in just 10 games a season ago before he injured his knee in August and missed the rest of the season. Burt has caught just four passes for 40 yards in his career. So, Mike, 
are you ready to label Jake Burt a bust? Do you have any expectations for him this year? And do you think this might be his last year as a Tiger Cat? I'm giving him this year before I label him as a bust. We had such high expectations for this guy coming in. You know, we were rubbing our hands together thinking yep. about what's Tommy Condell going to cook up? You know, is he going to have package for, packages for him in the red zone? Are they going to use him, you know, as a big mammoth of a slot receiver running towards the line? What are they going to do with this guy? And it's been a bunch of nothing. So I'll give him this year, but um, he just hasn't contributed anything to this team that, you know, is obvious. So give him another year. I know that fullbacks don't really do a lot in the CFO, so there's not a lot, lot to judge him on, but it's just been nothing from him since he was drafted, and we, we need to see something this year. Yeah, it, the, the last two times the Ticats had the top overall pick, they've gotten almost zero production. Uh, what was his name? The receiver, Mark Chapman. Yeah. Never came to the CFL, and Jake Burt has... He, he's been av- like not available, but there was a 14-game season in 2021 and an 18-game season last year, and he's played in 10 of them. I'm I'm very close to calling him a bust. With with as the first overall pick, and I know injuries injuries is tough because you can never account for them. But man, right. to, to miss his entire rookie season and to miss almost half of his second season, he's got he's he, this is this is the last year of his, his entry level contract, and I don't know if he's worthy of of getting a second one expectations do you have any for him this year or is it just whatever we get you'll be happy with yeah it's the latter whatever you know he gives us i'll be happy with because i mean what expectations could you have this guy's done absolutely nothing in this offense um since he's been here so you know if he if he shows uh some good stuff on the field i'll be happy but i don't i don't expect him to really light up the you know the ticats offense or anything this year so what about the backups? I, I know these guys aren't aren't household names, but we saw a little from Garan Gauthier last year. He actually had nine catches for 190 yards last season. Think about that. Very little play. What's that? Almost quintuple what Jake Burt put out in his career. Right, yeah. Do you think maybe he will supplant Burt as the team? Do you remember last year they, they were doing those, like, he'd sneak out of the backfield, be wide open, and catch, like, a 40-yard right. pass? Yeah, they'd kind of go the one way and throw it the other way kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah Do you yeah, think yeah, there's yeah, a possibility yeah. that, based on what he showed last year, that that he they, they both came from the same draft class, that he could supplant Burt as this team sort of starting fullback slash tight end? Absolutely. I don't see why why not. I mean, he's like you said, he's shown more on the field than Jake Bird has. And I mean, he's, he's slightly younger, uh, not by much, but, but yeah, by like eight months or something like that. So yeah, I could totally see Jake Bird being gone and uh, Felix filling in for him. All right. So let's get into the good stuff. Last episode, we unveiled our CFL QB pyramid and it led to some great discussions between you and I, between us and our listeners, between people who think we're morons and, and us who don't think we're morons. So we decided we're going to do it again, only this time we're going to do it with the league's running backs. It's the same concept as before. We tiered 15 of the league's running backs on a five-tier pyramid. Before we get into who we have where, I found this exercise much more difficult than the quarterback one. What about you? Absolutely way harder. I mean, you had so much more to um, grasp onto with the quarterbacks. Like most of the quarterbacks have been around. Had played. Had played for a number of years. Um, we, and then a lot of these running backs, I mean, they're like first year guys, right? I mean, that's the case with running backs a lot because they're usually younger guys. 
um, that the team can use and kind of d- discard in a couple of years. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it was really, really tough to distinguish, you know, who's better than who with such a small sample size for a lot of these guys. Yeah. Did you do a lot more projecting with this than you did with the quarterbacks? So with the quarterbacks, I felt like I I was relying, I think, more on past production and where I think they could yeah. be this year. With the running backs, there's a lot. Like, I'm going to have some guys, I think, higher on the list than people might expect based on where I think they're going to go this year. So I use a little bit of a different criteria in, mm-hmm. in, in tiering these ones. What about you? Yeah, I'm the exact same way. It's more of a how do I feel like they're going to perform this year? And it's more of the eye test, just watching them play, um, maybe looking at a little bit of their stats from last year, their average yards per carry and and all that good stuff. So, yeah, it's I'm sure that people will have wildly different opinions than us on these pyramids because, you know, it's wildly subjective with the running backs. Yeah, I like to I like to consider myself a facts over feelings guy. But on this one, I went a little bit more. It was a bit more 50 50 with facts and feelings. So anyway, let's get into our pyramids. We're going to start like we did last time with our bottom tier. So, Mike, your fifth row, who populates it? OK, I got William Stanback, wow. and Andrew Harris. OK, so William Stanback at one point was probably the best running back in this league. But for the past couple of years, he hasn't done anything, nothing to impress me. I know he's been injured, but like since he came back, we've been all waiting for this big breakout performance. And the CFL and TSN guys keep going back to that game against Hamilton a couple of years ago, a big performance, but we just haven't seen it. I think he's slowed down tremendously, and I just don't think he's an effective running back in this league anymore. And we're going to see it this year. Uh, with uh, Augustine, like I – think there's potential there and i you know I, I was watching him last year and i thought at times he was better than oliviera especially early on in the season but as the season went on we saw that oliviera was the main guy and he improved and augustine kind of fell down so that's why i have him in the the fifth tier and andrew harris once again was one of the best running backs for years in this league but injuries have mounted He's 34 years old, probably, I think, 35 going into the season, or at some point he'll turn 35. He just doesn't have it anymore. He's not a threat. I'm not scared of him, and that's why he's in the fifth tier. Okay, we'll we'll table the William Stanback discussion because you and I are wildly, we feel wildly (laughs) different about him. You're going to fall back in your chair when you see where I have him listed on this tier. Um, But here's my my bottom five here. Uh, Walter Fletcher from Montreal. Antonio Williams from BC, uh, Jeshran uh, Antwi from Montreal, Peyton Logan from the Stampeders, and Jackson Bennett from the Ottawa Red Blacks. So this was kind of my, when I looked at this tier, I kind of dubbed them kind of my unknown row. Like these are guys where we kind of haven't seen them play or we haven't seen them play enough. Like Fletcher, we've seen some good things. Antwi, we've seen some good things. Logan, we've seen some good things. Bennett, we've seen some good things. And Williams is a, is a complete unknown. It's his first year in the CFL. I know he's got some NFL experience. And he's the one guy, if I if I had to look at this list, he's the guy that I kind of think has the best chance of moving up a couple tiers during the season. Like he's penciled in for me as the Lions starting running back. But I mean – that I, I could be wrong. He could fall completely off of one of the other guys because they, they have nobody with any CFL experience now that James Butler's in Hamilton. So if Williams is given kind of a chance to be the guy, I think he can put up some big numbers. So he's the guy that I'm kind of the, the most I'm projecting maybe the most with him just because we know nothing about him. But that's I don't really have a ton to say about the rest of this group. It's, it's just a lot of guys that 
have some potential could be starters, but they're behind kind of other guys. Like the, 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 my bottom two rows are kind of the same. Like they're guys that have some potential or have, have done something, but they're stuck behind somebody else. These guys have just done less than the guys that I had in, uh, in my fourth tier. So, uh, moving on to, to your fourth tier, who do you, who do you have there? I got Diedrich Mills from Calgary and Devonte Williams. Um, oh, from Ottawa. Just, yeah, from Ottawa. I kind of like Devonte Williams. He he showed a bit last year, an average of 5.0, and that to me is like the acceptable amount for a running back in the CFL, the five yard mark. You know, I thought that he showed some good stuff last year in a limited time, and with uh, Mills, it's the same thing. Didn't have a ton of carries. I think he had 67 carries on the season. But an average of 6.9 yards per carry. And that's what uh, made me, you know, not, he's not in the fifth, he's in the fourth because of that. Um, but it is such a small sample size that I couldn't put him any higher than in the fourth tier. Yeah, Dietrich Mills was a guy I tried to find for a spot on here, but I just, so he's not, he's not going to pop up on mine. But anyway, so my fourth row, I, I I looked at these guys. These are guys who are kind of in timeshares. They're vet, you're capable veterans, but they're kind of behind someone else in the depth chart, or they're they're someone I one player in particular I like to call like a higher end unknown, a guy that I think has even more potential than Antonio Williams. So I got four guys on my on my fourth tier here. Uh, Saskatchewan's Frankie Hickson, uh, Hamilton Sean Thomas Erlington. AJ Ouellette from the Argos, and just like you, Devontae Williams. Williams is the guy that I'm kind of projecting here. You mentioned his stats. I won't go over them again, but I really kind of liked what I saw out of him. Um, a little, like, I think if he has a more competent, I mean, he does have a more competent coaching staff in Ottawa this year. I think he can have a bit of a breakout. Ouellette's the one that I think I have lower than most people. Obviously, I have him lower than you, but I just don't know if his running style is conducive to like a, a, a long productive career in the CFL you know like he's a bulldozer he's a good back but we've seen a lot of those guys kind of shine brightly for a short period of time and then disappear just as quickly so and again he's he's in a timeshare with Andrew Harris I mean how much Harris plays we don't know but I'm just I'm not entirely sold on Ouellette as being sort of the guy for the Argos I like Hickson a lot I think he would be a lot higher on here if he wasn't stuck behind Jamal Morrow who I have very high on my on my list but he, he is, and that's just the way it is. So, and with, with Sean Thomas Erlington, his upside is it's he's sitting behind James Butler. So James Butler's going to get the majority of the work there. I just don't know how much Sean Thomas Erlington is going to provide the team. So his upsides is, is kind of limited. So those are the guys that I have on my fourth tier. What about tier three, Mike? Who do you have there? I got <clears throat> Jamal Morrow. I got Ouellette. I got Fletcher. I got ST. And I or Sean Thomas Erlington and, and Antwi. Really high on the Montreal backs that aren't William Stanback. Yes. I think Antwi Antwi was fifth in the league in rushing last yeah, year. Yeah, crazy, right? Yeah, with a five point seven yard average. He had thirteen carries over ten yards and four carries over twenty yards. This kid's explosive. I'm not sure about his, you know, blocking ability or his catching ability, but strictly as a running back running the football. I think this kid's pretty explosive, and he's Canadian, right? So yep. uh, I think he's Canadian. Anyways, he is. Right? He's he is. Canadian? Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. But that doesn't add to the talent, obviously, but um, it adds to his value. So that's why I have him in the third tier. Olette, I can see where you're coming from with that. Maybe he doesn't have a long career, but I do like how he runs. You know, I like that physicality of his game. Maybe that will shorten his career, but at this point in time, I feel it's 
it's okay to put him in that third tier. Um, Fletcher, now that I think about it, might be a little high. Um, I might bump him down to the fourth tier, but I do like the way he runs. He's also a guy who can get off those explosive plays. STE in this um, in this bracket, he's just been solid over the years, and I think you can depend on him to be you know a five yard per carry guy that you can depend on as a backup quarterback, a rotational guy. And maybe he might be a little bit too high, but I think he's okay in that third spot. I, I like Walter Fletcher a lot. The only reason I had him as low as I did is that I still think the guy ahead of him, the veteran, is is going to get a bulk of the carries there. So I think he's got tremendous upside. I don't I don't hate that you have him higher. That's that's where the projections with this come in, right? Like mm-hmm. it. This is this is where we're like, who knows who's going to be the number one guy? You know what I mean? And and I but I. I I remember going into free agency. Walter Fletcher was a guy when I was looking at sort of who can the Ticats get. It's like, oh man, if you brought him in, this was this without even thinking James Butler was an option. Thinking bringing a guy like Walter Fletcher, who's kind of not not I wouldn't say superstar, but it's like kind of under the radar guy, given a a, a bigger load could really st- sort of put up numbers. So I I don't hate where you have him there. Uh, my third row, and we're kind of getting into some more reliable guys, but there is some projections on one of these guys. Uh, I have James Butler. I have Brady Oliveira. And I have Edmonton's Kevin Brown. I want it known right now that I'm planting my flag on the Kevin Brown mountain. I think the Elks are going to be a much better team this year. I think they're going to make the playoffs. And I think Kevin Brown is going to have a big, big season. Again, a lot of projections when it comes to this, but he's a guy that I think very, very highly of. Uh, Some might find it odd that I don't have James Butler higher, but this is strictly because I do not know how much he'll be used now that he's a Tiger Cat. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. We know you and I know better than most. The Ticats do not feature the run game like other teams do. So I do think Butler is would his talent dictates he could be higher on here. I just don't know if he will have the chance to put up that top. Like he's a top tier talent. I don't know if he'll put up top tier production with the tabbies and Oliviera. I, like I know he's good. I know he had a thousand yards last year. I know he'll probably have a thousand yards again this year. I just don't know if he's as good as the numbers suggest. And I wonder if he's more of a product of that great offensive line in Winnipeg and the danger that Zach Caleros presents in the passing game. If that has more to do with sort of his success, because he finished last year, he was third in league in rushing, just one of three running backs to crack a thousand yards. But I just don't know if, if I'm ready to put him in this, in the upper echelon. So to me, he's kind of, this this is kind of a a good spot for him. Um, Now we're getting to the creme de la creme, Mike. So who do you have on your second tier? I got Frankie Hickson. I got Brown. I got Oliviera and I got Butler. Um, I like Frankie Hickson in uh, Saskatchewan. I think that he showed a lot of good things. I know he's behind Morrow, but I, I just like Hickson better. Okay. Um, he had a better average. Pre- I know he didn't get as many carries. He had 85 carries to 126 for Morrow, but a 6.3 yard average, 17 carries over 10 yards and three carries over 20 yards. I think there's a lot of potential there. With uh, with Brown, I'm totally with you on Brown. I think. I mean, I guess I guess you should be putting your your flag on. You have him higher than I do. I thought I thought mm-hmm. me putting him in tier three was high. I know but you have him tier I, two, so I'm sorry. I have, t- Man, I have like, tier two. I, I just this kid's you're, gonna. You're, you're big on the Elks this year, aren't you? I am. I think that um, Kevin Brown. They found a, a tremendous talent at running back with Kevin Brown. They found a tremendous talent with Mitchell and the receiving core. And they had a really good returner, who slips my mind, who unfortunately, I believe, died in the offseason. Oh, yeah, Salisbury, Salisbury. Right, yeah. which is very unfortunate. But, um, yeah, I think that 
Chris Jones is like doing his work. He's bringing in guys that are extremely talented and Kevin Brown's one of them and he's going to have a monster season, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, is there and, someone else? Uh, There's one more. What one the player, wasn't there? Yeah, and Butler. Butler. Oh, yes, uh, yes, yes. Just especially early on in the season when he was rocking with Nathan Rourke, they really had that offense going. It slowed, his production slowed down, I think, over the season, but I still think that he's, you know, a top five running back in this league. So, and, and the numbers, you know, he was second in the league in rushing last year, um, only a five yard average, but. You know, we we talked about all the other things he does well, so I think that uh, justifies him in the second tier. For sure, for sure. Okay, so my second tier is two guys. I got Kadeem Carey and I got Jamal Morrow. I had multiple versions of this list, and both of these guys at one point occupied my top spot, but I ultimately moved them down and decided on someone else for the tip of my pyramid, who I'm assuming, if you're listening, you can kind of figure out who I got at the top. I think we also know who Mike has at the top. We'll get to that in a second. I think both these players are great. I think, you know, Kerry obviously led the CFL in rushing last year. I think these guys are just a hair below the guy that I have on top. And Jamal Morrow, I'm, what he did to start the season in Saskatchewan, the numbers he put up before he got hurt, if he plays a full season, I think he could put up massive, massive numbers. So, I mean, whichever one of those... Pardon me. Whichever one of those running backs in Saskatchewan gets the bulk of the carries, I think is going to be just put up huge numbers. I just think it's right now it's Morrow over Hickson, but if it ends up being Hickson, I mean, I guess the spot is just Saskatchewan starting running backs. I just think that they're going to put up some really big numbers. We've seen Trevor Harris offenses, the running backs, William Powell, when he was in Ottawa last year in Montreal, the, the running back trio that he had there put up some really good numbers. So I, I just really think that that that'll be, It'll, it'll just be a spot where a guy's going to put up numbers. So if it's, I think it's going to be Morrow, you think it's going to be Hickson, we'll have to wait and see. So top spot, Mike, I guess I'll, I guess I'll say mine first this time, just because you're going to be shocked. I still think William Stanback is the best running back in the CFL. I, I, I heard everything you said about why you had him in the, in the fifth tier, the injuries and all that. I just, he's only 20, you, you know, he's only 28 years old. He's yeah. actually two years younger than Kadeem Carey. Like, I just think, I I think he's still got one or two really good seasons left in him. I think with Cody Fajardo, and I'm not, as we know, not a big Cody guy, but with Fajardo in there, I think the running game of Montreal might be even better than it was when Harris was there. Because Fajardo's got that threat of using his legs too. So that kind of read option, Mm -hmm. that RPO offense that they could run there, I think that's really going to open up things for Stanback. The receiving core is not great, but they do have Greg Ellingson. But I mean, there's, there's some questions there for sure, but I don't know. I just, at the end of the day, with with all I, all the different variations of this list I had, I just came back to, because I thought William Stanback was like 32, like because I feel like he's been around for forever. When I see he's only 28, and then last year he dealt with injuries, and I just think that he can still get back to the mountaintop. So I know you vehemently disagree with me. So, and we've already heard your reason. So we actually don't really have to debate it. Who's your number one, Mike? I think we all know, but reveal it anyway. <clears throat> I got Kadeem Carey at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. He was the best running back in the league statistically last year, and it wasn't really close. I mean, I guess the yards, he was only 28 yards ahead of James Butler. He had 1,088 yards, but his average was 6.6 per carry with over like 164 carries. That's that's a really good average, um, along a 40. He had 10 touchdowns. He had uh, 38 carries of 10 yards or more which was seven more than Butler, who was the closest. And then 
His 20 yard or more had 11 and no one was even close to that for uh, 20 yard carries. So I just think the numbers bared out at this time. Kadeem Carey is the best running back in the league. And, you know, maybe Steinbach will get back to his ways, but I just don't, I don't see it after the injury. I just haven't seen anything to indicate that he is that guy he was before the injuries. Yeah. Maybe this will look foolish by mid season and, and I'll maybe you look genius. Way wrong, or maybe I look genius, but it yeah. is hard to argue against Kadeem Carey, honestly. Like I have no like I had him in my second tier for a reason. But at one point, for, for most of my my like variations of this list, he was at the top. And then at the last minute, I was just like, you know what? I don't know. There's something about me and veteran players, though. Like I just guys who have been there and done that, I kind of like it. I know Carey's done that, but he hasn't done it as long as Standback does. And then when I saw the age of the two guys, I was just like I would not have guessed that William Stanback was younger than Kadeem no, Carey. Cause like I said, it feels either. like Stanback's been now. I know Carey had some NFL shots. I think he was with the Chicago bears, the NFL. So I understand that he, he spent some time down there before he came up North, but I just don't know if Carey's going to have like Carey could be out of the league in two years. Stanback could still be leading the league in rush. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. this was our, our list here were, there were some similarities, but there was a lot of variation here because they, I, I think that just tells you kind of how hard this was to put together because like we said at the top, a lot of this was projection. So what about guys that you left off? Is there anyone that you tried to get on your pyramid, but just couldn't for reasons uh, that you'll, you can explain now? It was, um, well, I had one guy on there that wasn't even in the league anymore, but that was Powell. <laughs> I didn't know that he was, uh, you know, not on a roster anymore. So, um, but other than that, like, no, I just, I know that you had one or two, one or two guys that I didn't have on the list, but I just felt like those were the guys and uh, I didn't really sway back. And I didn't like take names off the list and put names on. Yeah. Who did we, so I think I don't, you didn't have Peyton Logan on your list, did you? No. And you didn't have Jackson Bennett. Or did yes, you Jackson correct. Bennett? Yep. No, I didn't have Jackson Bennett. No. You didn't have Jackson Bennett. I think those are the only no. guys that I had. Who are the guys? Oh, you had Diedrich Mills. And you had Johnny mm-hmm. Augustine, so there. So yeah. you took you took you took one Calgary running back. I took the other, and D, and Johnny Augustine. And it's funny because Diedrich Mills and Peyton Logan were the two guys that like which oh, I was going to put one of the Calgary backups on there because they both got significant time, and I was just like, which one do I like more? And I just mm-hmm. I think I think I, I think Logan had more explosive plays last year. I could be wrong. Just I, I didn't do a ton of stats diving except on some players. That then Mills had, but I think I think you could make an argument for either of those guys. And I went with Bennett kind of as my Canadian running back over Augustine. I just think he'll get more opportunities, I think, in um in Ottawa than Augustine will get in Winnipeg. But we have to talk about the elephant in the room with my picks, Mike. One name that you did not hear past my lips was Andrew Harris. He did not crack my top 15. I know that is probably going to piss off the same Argo fans that my Chad Kelly ranking did. And I know you had him on your list. He was in your fifth tier. He was the last guy in your fifth in your fifth tier that you mentioned. So I'm assuming he was the last guy you maybe put on your list. I just don't think Andrew Harris is a top 15 running back in the CFL anymore. He's an all-time great player. I mean, if you're willing to overlook the whole steroid thing from a few years ago, you look at his career. He's he's an all he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. He's he's in the conversation as the greatest Canadian running back in league history. All that stuff is true. He has not been good since that 2019 season. Last year he played, and this this I did do the numbers on because I wanted to just so stark in contrast to what he used to be and kind of how we see him. And maybe people think, oh, he should be in the top three. Not anymore. Played just eight games last year, had 490 yards rushing and zero touchdowns. Year before, played in just seven games and had 623 yards rushing. 
His yards per carry have gone down each of the last two seasons as well. And last year, he was at 4.3 yards per carry. Only six running backs had over 100 carries. Only 10 had over 80. And Andrew Harris was the only one to average under five yards per carry. I just think his numbers simply don't suggest him as a player being in the top 15 anymore at his position. And I think leaving him off the list at this stage in his career is completely reasonable. I know that's probably going to engender some hate. I know people are going to say you're a Ticat fan, so you're just hating on the Argos again. I just don't, I think, I don't care what uniform Andrew Harris would have been in this year. I just don't think he's a top 15 player in his position anymore. Yeah. And I know that people think that, you know, people are going to think that that's outlandish, but I, I'm with you. Like I had him at the very back end of the pyramid. Like he was, he struggled to get on my list. So he can't stay healthy. No, and he can't and get he just, the field. And I know that that sounds silly given William Stanback's had his injury troubles, but I mean, William Stanback's 28, Andrew Harris is 35. Like Andrew, and Andrew mm-hmm. Harris, we know this is his last year. He's already taken a job to do something else. His, his day is over. He, he's an all-time great player, yeah. but his the, the game has passed him by. And that's not to say he, he can't bring value to the Toronto For Argonauts, sure. but yeah, he's he's not a threat on the field anymore. And you know, add another year to it, and he's just going to be even less effective. So. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, so that was our running back period. Next week, we're going to come back, and we're going to do – we're going to rank the wide receivers. We're not sure if we're going to do a pyramid or what we're going to do yet, but we're going to do something with the league's wide receivers. That is net. We're going to talk Ticats wide receivers. We're going to then do some sort of ranking of the league wide receivers. That should be fun. I think there'll be a little more consensus with that. I think we – especially at the top of the list, I feel like we have some of the guys. I mean, we had that discussion about where Geno Lewis ranked – a few week, a few episodes ago. So I think there's going to be a little consensus on sort of where the uh, the receivers in the league rank. But again, it's always to me, it's always those lower tier. Now this was, I was shocked that we had such wildly different opinions on William Standback, but that's the way it is. But I think for most of these that we do, we're going to probably have very similar ones near or at the top of our our list. So next time is wide receivers. So we're going to have some fun with that. But let's move on. Let's get to our game today, Mike. We're going to play fill in the blank. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, let's do this. Mike, the CFL Combine was this past weekend, and fans were upset that the league did not provide a live stream or that TSN did not air some portion of the event on television. Many said that this shows a lack of caring for the CFL product, either by TSN or by the league itself, and was just another failure by the league to drum up interest in the upcoming Canadian draft class. So, Mike, the CFL not streaming the Combine is blank. It's unfortunate. Um, they've streamed the combine, you know, in previous years. I think some of the excuse was they didn't have room where they were holding it to do a, like a legit stream. But yeah, it, it's just unfortunate. And I don't think that I don't think it's as big of a deal as CFL fans were making it out to be. Um, not to me, anyways, because I just don't. I don't put a lot of stock into the draft, and I know that's sinful <laughs> to a lot of <laughs> CFL fans, but I just don't think it's as important as some make it out to be. So I, I, would I like to have had it streamed? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm not even sure if I would have watched if it was on. So it's unfortunate, but it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers some people. My answer to this is no big deal. Look, I'm all for more CFL content, but I'm going to keep it real. I wouldn't have watched a single second of the combine if it was streamed. And based on the numbers that I saw in the YouTube videos that they posted, not just the clips this year, but the live streams from last year, I'm not the only one. The okay. YouTube numbers for the clips they posted from this year's combine, Mike, were abysmal. They posted four videos that garnered a total, 
between the four of about 9,000 views combined. The live stream numbers from last year were better with numbers ranging from between nine to 17,000. But I completely get why the CFL does not want to sink money into airing something that a vast majority of their fans simply do not care about. The only other combine that I know of that gets major airtime is the NFL combine. And that's broadcasted exclusively on their own network. If the CFL had a CFL network, like a cable station or even a, a CFL streaming service, then I get, oh, you want you want a content, you want con- – because that's why the, – the only reason the combine, the NFL, the NFL combine was ever aired is because the league network needed content. So they're like, well, let's broadcast this thing. And then it's, it's obviously blown up into something big. But have you ever watched the combine in the NFL or in the CFL? Like the CFL is a little bit more interesting because they do have the one-on-ones. But guys right. running 40 times, lifting weight, like it's not exactly thrilling television. Like it's not something no. – it's and I, I I do know that there is a there is a segment of the fans that want that, but I showed you the numbers nine thousand combined views for four videos that ha- like that's not good. So like maybe the CFL should have done something other than posting clips after the fact. But honestly, unless more people start to care, I don't right. see why the league should put a, a big effort into airing something that a very small fraction of their audience cares about you know what i mean like i know it might be kind of a chicken and the egg thing like no one cares so we don't produce live content but we don't produce live content because no one cares but i just think this kind of blew up because it's that time of year where cfl news is kind of very sparse and fans just wanted something to discuss and the lack of a live stream and 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 the league's the league's excuses for it to me like that i gotta give i'm not gonna back the league up on that because it's like you got if you're a professional league you gotta vet these places like if you don't think you Mm -hmm. if you wanted to air a live stream you got to go to that place and feel feel like you can do it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the idea that you find out after the fact that oh, it's not, it's not conducive. Like that to me, that to me is just a, kind of a lame answer, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure there's could have been a way it could have been done, but right, they just didn't want to put the effort into it. And I, like like you just explained, like it's it's not going to put the league over the top. You know what I mean? If they stream the the yeah. combine, they're not going to get millions of views or anything like that. And it wouldn't hurt of it wouldn't have hurt them to do it, but yeah, it's not a big deal. All right. Fan complaints do not stop there, Mike, as Sportsnet found a way to tick off CFL fans when they released a tweet on St. Patrick's Day asking which team has the best green jersey and posted pictures of the Green Bay Packers, the Boston Celtics, the Dallas Stars, the Mexican national soccer team, the Oakland A's, and then a six square on their graphic that just said other. Almost immediately, CFL fans took Sportnest to task for not including either the Edmonton Elks or mostly the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So, Mike, CFL fans being mad at Sportsnet for not including the Riders or Elks in their graphic is blank. It's typical, but it's also typical on Sportsnet's part. It's typical for CFL fans to complain about Sportsnet, that they don't pay attention to them. And it's typical of Sportsnet to ignore the CFL because that's what they do. So I get that, you know, people... Um, may think that you know the CFL fans made it too big of a deal of it and, and all that, but I just think to put like the Mexican national team <laughs> jersey on the graphic when you're a Canadian sports network, I, I don't know. It, it didn't bother me as much as it bothered other people, but it did kind of annoy me. It's just it's typical of Sportsnet and it's typical of CFL fans to complain about Sportsnet. So I'm. It- we're in the kind of a similar vein, but I think I'm going to hew more towards criticizing CFL fans here. And I know that that's not great, but 
my answer is CFL fans falling for bait the bait once again. I can't say for certain if this was intentional on Sportsnet part. It probably wasn't. Whoever put this together probably did not think of the CFL at all, which I know is part of the problem, but let's set that aside for a minute. But that tweet reached so many more people because CFL fans extended its reach because they kept retweeting it to complain about it. Right. Like, I know the CFL is disrespected by Sportsnet, and it sucks, and I hate it as much as anyone else. But complaining about it is like complaining about getting burnt by the stove when you put your hand on the hot element. Like, you know exactly what you're going to get, and Sportsnet will continue to limit the scope of the CFL until they have a financial reason not to. And I'm going to use this for a second here, too, because I know people are like, oh, Sportsnet never promotes CFL, blah, 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 blah. TSN is no better in this regard. And I know you hate when I talk about soccer, but the Canadian men's national team played its first game since the World Cup on Saturday, and TSN buried that story on their website. And this is a, this is a network that went, and you you probably remember this from watching CFL games and NFL games in the, in the fall. They went all in on the Canadian men's national team making the World Cup. They started putting out tons of content. They couldn't stop producing content on guys like Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David and the players in the team and the coaches and and the run up to the World Cup. And you know why they did that? Because they had World Cup rights. They don't have the rights to these games that they're playing now. It's the Concacaf. I think Concacaf Nations League is what it's called. Those rights are with One Soccer, who they have the they have all of the Canadian games, the Canadian men's and women's national teams rights, because the major sportsnet TSN did not care to show them. They, the Canadian team was paying those those networks to air their games, and now because they don't have those games, they don't think these games are important. They, they don't care. They bury it on their web. So TSN is is just like sports in that regard. If they don't have a financial stake in something, they don't care about it either. But that's me. Right. I'm going to get off my soapbox anyway. because no one cares. I do get no my one cares. No one cares about Canadian soccer unless they're in the World Cup or contending. Just like nobody cares about Canadian basketball or Canadian whatever unless they're contending, right? I mean, that's a good point. I see. I was seeing people come like the the game isn't even sold out. Like people complaining that the tickets were a hundred bucks. I thought this was a soccer country, and you can't sell out a fucking stadium to see the national team play. It only matters when it's the World Cup, when it's the tournament of death, when thousands of people had to die to build the stadiums. That's when people care. They don't give a shit about sports in this country. They only care about the NHL. They only care about the national teams when they're in big tournaments, right? When they're in big tournaments, but when they're playing, you know, a smaller tournament, it's still the national team. We still, we should be proud, but we're not because we're bandwagon jumpers. We're not a sports country. We're bandwagon fans. And that's the bottom line. If, if people care, that place would be sold out, but they're told not to care. So they don't. I thought I was on my soapbox. (laughs) Right. Am Am I wrong? Am I wrong? You're not, you're Is a hundred bucks too much to charge for wrong. a soccer game? I thought we were a soccer country. You're not wrong. Huh? You're you're not wrong. Okay. Sorry. I I I, I you're right. If it's not if it's not the hockey, they people don't care. And, and even if it is the hockey, okay. Yeah. So there's a, the the soccer or the uh, basketball tournaments going on right now, right? The NCAA. There's way much more coverage on yep. that than like the junior hockey playoffs that are about yep. to start. You're right. So we don't really care about hockey either in this country. No, that's uh, you're right. Maybe Canada is it's it's got to be the oddest sports country in the world then because it it feels like because we have a ton of sports. I'm actually right. you brought up basketball. I'm actually curious what TSN is going to do. They now have the rights to show the CEBL this year. 
And I'm very right. curious to see what they do with coverage of that because they've never covered the CPL and they've never really covered the basketball league either. So I'm kind of curious now that they have a financial stake in it. Will they start showing highlights on TSN? Will, but it's anyway, to get back to the point at hand, I get why fans are angry about what Sportsnet did, but in my opinion, by getting angry and doing that, they kind of played right into Sportsnet's hands. So we'll move on now. Anyway, we both both had a chance to cool down, calm down, get off our <laughs> get off our pedestals and get back down here. The league announced that Winnipeg will host the 2025 Grey Cup, the first time that the city will host the league's championship game in a decade, last hosting in 2015. One interesting piece of news that, at least to me, that came out of the announcement was that they will not be adding temporary stands for the game, meaning the crowd will be capped at around 33,000 people. So, Mike, the CFL slash Winnipeg not adding temp stands for the 2025 Grey Cup is blank. It's a, it's a sign of the times. Um, you know, we haven't seen the addition or a lot of temporary seating at the Grey Cup for many years now, it seems so I think they're they're going to a model where there's going to be less seats that are more expensive, right? And that's unfortunate because it's pricing out, you know, the normal the normal fan, right? Um, Grey Cup tickets are becoming more and more expensive, and uh, the less seats make it that way. So thirty two thousand, thirty three thousand, maybe thirty five thousand. I think, unless you're at Edmonton or BC. I think that's going to be around the attendance you're going to get for Grey Cups moving forward and maybe even less for like the Eastern stadiums like Hamilton and Ottawa. Yeah, I'm kind of curious what Hamilton's going to, I know that they didn't expand in 2021, obviously with COVID, they didn't know mm-hmm. what was going on. They decided just to cap it at what they had. I'm kind of curious as to what they're going to do this year, but you and I don't discuss our answers before here and you're not going to believe what mine says. A sign of the times. <laughs> wow. Basically, my right. my whole my whole spiel here was would have, was going to be the exact same thing as yours with with one thing, I, like this like I just wonder if this is what's going to be the norm. Like instead of trying to get as many people into the game as they can, will they instead raise ticket prices to kind of price out the average fan? And doesn't this kind of go against everything we've ever heard about Grey Cup? Like CFL fans have lauded the Grey Cup and its festivities as being the anti-Super Bowl. It's not a corporate schmooze fest, but a celebration of the game that fans can afford. If the league is going to go down this route of not expanding capacity for Grey Cup, I do wonder if these will price out some fans going forward. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think this is a huge deal. Like, because I think people there people go to Grey Cup, don't even go to the game. Like they they'll mm-hmm. simply go just to go to the parties, and that that that's I think more in tune with with the idea of what Grey Cup is but I think this is something to watch in the coming years like you mentioned Edmonton and BC bigger stadiums like they don't need to add seats but I wonder what they do the next time they have this in Ottawa or the next time they have this in Calgary I just think it's something to keep in mind when you see that when those cities especially Ottawa Ottawa hasn't had it since 2017 they're inevitably inevitably going to host a Grey Cup again kind of curious what the seating situation will look like then because they got that big lawn like you were were at the last one in 2017 they had temp stands then didn't they yeah I was sitting in them yeah yeah, was it on the side, like the side with the lawn or the side with the uh, the condos? Uh, I was I was heavily inebriated that day. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. You you lost your wallet and had to like take a bus home. Didn't no, you? no, no. That that was when I was sober. That was the first day I got oh. there. Yeah, yeah. That was I like the, as soon as I got off the as soon as I got off the airplane, went to the the hotel room, and I I dropped my uh, I dropped my wallet in the cab, and I was just <laughs> miserable, miserable. 
And I had to meet my dad there, and he's like, I had to tell him, and he's like, you idiot, how could you? Yeah, yeah, I had to listen yeah. to him berate you. Yeah, 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 yeah no, I deserved it. Something stupid. I've lost my wallet a ton of, like, I haven't lost it in, like, 20-something years, but I lost it, like, two times in the span of, like, maybe 18 months. And my uh, my father and mother were just, like, I've... I was I was a good kid and a good student, so I never disappointed my parents tremendously. Like I got, I got caught shoplifting once, and like they were, my dad was really angry at me. Right. And uh, I'm pretty I think they found porno magazines in my room one time when I was <laughs> I was like 17, and my dad <laughs> lost his mind. Like it was wow. like you like and it was so weird because it's like why is my dad dating yourself there magazines? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like I'm 41, man. I'm old. I'm old as shit. I'm, I'm basically dirt right now. But it was just like, those were really the only two times I remember like my parents being, I didn't get grounded a ton. Like I got a lot of leeway, but when you have to deal with that, like disappointment and to do, Mm. to do it when you have to do it in your thirties, like that's, it's just like, oh my God, it's, it's just terrible. Anyway, let's move on. Still a dumbass, eh, Mike? Still a dumbass, I see. All right. So the Canadian Football Hall of Fame announced their class of 2023. The inductees are defensive end John Bowman, linebacker Solomon Alminian, both getting in on their first ballot. Offensive lineman Josh Bork, offensive lineman Lord Fairbanks, defensive back Larry Crawford, coach Jacques Dussault, commissioner Larry Smith, and Chris Schultz, Vicky Hall, and John Hayes are being inducted into the media wing. Bowman and Solly both got in their first year of eligibility, like I mentioned, making them just the 25th and 26 players inducted on the first ballot. Of course, one name absent from that list once again is our guy Rob Hitchcock, who we have been stumping for now. It feels like you know, we even got a shirt, Hitch for Hall. We've been wanting this guy to get in the Hall of Fame for a number of years now. So, Mike, without naming Rob Hitchcock, the player that is not in the Hall of Fame right now that should be is blank. Andy Fantuz. Oh, and now, okay. is he? He's probably eligible by now. I'm thinking, but you know, oh, he should be. Yeah, he's just – I think he's so deserving. I mean, not I, I, just, Sully played after Fantuz had retired. Yeah, you're right. So he he, uh, he should be in there. And it's not just because of his CFL career. He had a no. tremendous career at the uh, University of Western. I think he broke some records there. He was Rookie of the Year. Heck, Crichton Ward winner. Maybe the, yeah. greatest, maybe the greatest university receiver of the last 20 years. Yeah, like he had serious buzz coming out of university. Yep. Like, he, I don't think he went to, um, he didn't get an NFL shot for many years later, but he was making noise in university football in Canada, which is tough to do, you know, create a buzz in Canadian university ball. So taking into consideration his success at Western and his success in the CFL, I think he's a... Uh, uh, you know, maybe not, obviously not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but a for sure Hall of Famer eventually. Yeah, you know what? I didn't even think of it. Like, I he still feels so modern to me that mm-hmm. it's like it. But you're right, Andy Fantuz is is ah, he's even better than the guy I pick. I, I, my answer is Jamel Richardson, okay. four-time yep. divisional All Star, two-time League All Star, two-time Grey Cup champion, Grey Cup MVP in 2010. Finished his career with 604 catches, 8,335 yards, and 52 touchdowns. And he caught 53 passes for 914 yards and eight touchdowns in 11 career playoff games. When it mattered most, he came to play. He had four straight 1,000-yard-plus seasons, including a 1,700-yard season in 2011. I think he was one of the best receivers of his era. I think he gets mm-hmm. forgotten because he played at the same time as, like, G. Roy Simon, the tail end of um, – uh, not even the tail end. He, he played uh, Milt Stegall was still around and Nick Lewis guys who I think had 
maybe bigger personalities and and took more of the spotlight. But for a few years there, like tw- like 2008 to 2011, he was one of, if not the most feared receivers in the CFL. And I think he he deserves this ultimate recognition. But man, Andy's Andy's a good pick. I think we got I think we got two really good picks here. I I wish I would have thought of yeah. Andy. I agree. Oh, I'm glad I, I did because he gave us a chance to talk about two two really good players. And with Jamal Richardson, he also had the, uh, you know, he also had S.J. Green playing beside him for a, yep. a long time there and, too. And oh, who? Kenny, Kenny Watkins? No. Watkins, yes, I, I know you're talking. Oh, his first name. That wasn't. It wasn't Kenny. No, it wasn't was Kenny. Person? But he was. He was a really good player. Kerry Watkins? Kerry Watkins. Oh, it was close. Is it? Kerry Watkins. Oh, yeah, yeah. Born 1979. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. Kerry yep. Watkins. He was really good, too. Yeah. The, and, you know, Ben Goon as well played with yep. uh, Richardson. Ben Goon is. But, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Jamal Richardson, I feel like, was probably the best receiver for a couple of years there. So, yeah. I'm I, with I, I think so, too. All right. Last one here, Mike. And we're going to end today with a little bit of fun. Friend of the show, Tiger Sammy, posted a tweet on Monday with, you know, that meme with the you know, from the movie Tangled with the swords at the throat. Mm-hmm. And he asked when he showed that, what is a CFL opinion that will have you like this? Meaning what's the CFL opinion that you hold that would have almost everyone attacking you? So I'm pretty sure I know where you're going to go with this, but Mike, the opinion, the CFL opinion that would have you looking like Flynn Rider from Tangled with multiple swords <laughs> pointing at your head would be blank. Eliminate the rouge. There we go. And I've been talking about it for years on this show. And like some, you're saying, you're saying outright eliminate, not yeah. at, like because there's people who are like, like I'm, I'm in the you know we can tweak it. You're just saying get rid of the damn thing. Mm-hmm. And I'd be okay with the tweaking um, of the rule as well. But if it was up to me, I just I'd get rid of the whole damn thing. Listen, I understand that people say oh, it's not the missed kick. It's that the team yeah. couldn't get it out. But why does the team have to get it out in the first place? Like you missed the kick. Why did why do they have to get it out? But Anyways, well, I won't deep dive on it, but I, yeah, that's the one. I think that you could get rid of that and you wouldn't miss it at all. And players would still return the ball on a, you could still be able to miss the ball or return the ball on a missed field goal or a punt um, or whatever. You can still bring it out of the end zone. You still have that excitement of that possibility of a, a return touchdown, but you just don't have the the goofiness of missing a field goal and getting a point. Okay, so... I knew you were going to go on your rant about the Rouge. Knew that there was when when I posed this to you in the pre-show, I knew there was no chance you were taking anything with the Rouge. So that was my first one. But when I knew you were going to do that, even without asking you, I knew you were going to do that. I pivoted. So my answer is, I like and want to keep the unbalanced schedule. And if the league ever does get to ten teams, the schedule should be even more unbalanced than it currently is. Now hear me out here, okay? Playing the same team four times in a month like the Ticats and Argos did last year is and always will be stupid. Like it was stupid, is stupid, will always be stupid. But I think playing more games against divisional opponents is not a bad thing. If the CFL is going to stick to divisions, and I don't see any reason why they won't, then an unbalanced schedule to me is the only way to go. Now, but now hear me out on a 10-team league here, okay? So if a 10-team, 18-game schedule is just two games against each team, what the hell is the point of having divisions at all? Because every team plays the exact same schedule. Having divisions is, is meaningless. And I think it would just further divide the whole 
Like if you have divisions and you play a balanced schedule, I think that's just going to further bring East and West teams like fans. Just go, you're going to have a team finish fourth in the West. That's going to go 10 and eight, having played the same team that finished first in the East that went nine and nine. And they're going to be pissed off. So if we're keeping divisions, and like I said, I don't think there's any push to the league level to change that. Then I think we need to find a workable, even if imperfect, unbalanced schedule. So here's my proposal for an 18 game season with 10 teams and an unbalanced schedule. First off, you would play each team in your division three times. That means tiebreakers will almost always be based on head-to-head record. The rare time when, when you know, the tie Cats and the Argos tie a game, obviously it would then go to points. But for the most part, almost every year, that tiebreaker wouldn't be who scored more points over two games or four games. It'd be who won two of the three. So that's 12 games knocked off right there, which leaves us with six games left. Those other six games are obviously played against the teams from the other division, Within my scenario, a home and home against a team that finished in the same spot as the standings as you did. So in this hypothetical scenario I'm going to lay out here, we have the East standings that finished Hamilton, Ottawa, Halifax, Toronto, Montreal, and the West standings finished Calgary, Winnipeg, Edmonton, BC, and Saskatchewan. So with that, you have the Cats and the Stamps, the Red Blacks and the Bombers, the Schooners and the Elks, the Argos and the Lions, and the Owls and the Riders would all play home and home series. That gets us to 14 games, which leaves us with four. Those four games would then be against the four teams from the opposite division that you don't play home and home against. You'd play two of them at home, two of them on the road. So Hamilton in this hypothetical situation, let's say they face Winnipeg and BC at Tim Hortons Field while they travel to Edmonton and Saskatchewan. So I know that that means that there's going to be two teams every year that you don't see. And because my schedule is based around where you finish in the standings, it's entirely possible you could go multiple seasons without seeing certain teams. Because like I said, it's all based on where you finished in the previous year's standings. So I know that that would get complaints. But what this also does, I think, is it allows for last place teams to theoretically play easier schedules than first place teams. So in my hypothetical, Hamilton plays the top team in the West twice, while the other four teams only see them once, and the last place team gets the uh, get two games against each other and only one against the top team from the other division. So I know that I, I laid out a very long-winded, I, I put a lot of thought into this, but this is the idea that I, I stand behind. This is the one that I know a lot of people would would come at me for. But I think this is a great idea, and if I was ever in a meeting with the Board of Governors of the CFL, I would stand there and defend this idea to the death. What do you think? I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. And I, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of the playing the team four times, but this eliminates um, that. Exactly. And it would be more spaced out. You wouldn't have, you know, playing three times in three weeks or whatever like that. So, um, yeah, doesn't sound like a bad idea to me, Josh. I just think. If you're going to make divisions matter, make divisions matter. And I know that that is a controversial statement because people – because the big thing is get rid of divisions. Like a lot of people want to get rid of divisions. I don't think the league's ever going to do that. So I've, I've been sitting on this idea now since 28 – when when that, that, that we went to that stupid schooners party when they said there's going to be a team in Halifax. And I was like, oh, how yeah. do I make a schedule? Like I literally had a Word document – with an entire article printout ready to go for three down when it's like, okay, the schooners are coming in in 2020 or whenever that was going to be. And I'm just like, you know what? This is maybe, I know that there's some traction. We're not going to talk about expansion, but you know what? Might as well just put it out here. Now I, I put a lot of thought into this. I think it is a very workable schedule. I understand the pitfalls of it, but I just think this would make division games matter more. And you would still get to see, three of the four West teams or three of the four East teams, depending on where you are every year. And maybe there, I could think of a workaround where if you see, if you didn't host the two teams one year, you make sure you host them next year. And then you never go too many seasons without seeing a team. But 
that's that's for people higher up in the food chain than me. I just I put a lot of thought into this, so I, <laughs> that's why I took my time in laying it out. What if they? What if they? What if Quebec City gets in? Then we have the eleventh team. <laughs> oh well, then. <laughs> yeah, well, then, then, we'll I have, then I have that. Then, then the East has more teams than the West. That's crazy. That'll never happen. Wouldn't that be funny if they got a team in Quebec City? I mean, uh, with that new Montreal owner, and I know he has ties in Quebec City. He yeah. built that big arena and everything. I know that a certain uh, reporter in Montreal says it'll never happen, but I don't know. Things change. You know what I mean? I used to say that too, and you know, things change. So you never know. Yeah, I just to me, if you go, you go to ten, you then got to go to twelve. Like right, you can't. Yeah. You, I yeah. don't think. I know. Like we have the, pop-up stadiums all over the country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, where would you? I know we're getting off topic here, and we're we're running a little long tonight. But if you did get Quebec City, because really, when you think of of where the league isn't, Quebec City and the Maritimes, Atlantic Canada is really the two areas where you're like, okay, that would work. Like mm-hmm. in, in in um a utopian society, those are the two big markets where they don't really have anything. Where out west could they put a team? Like I don't think it would work. Another team in Saskatchewan would work. There's no other big city in Alberta, and there's there's I mean, Winnipeg's barely a big city in Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Would it be Victoria? But wouldn't that eat into the Lions? Like, I just don't know. Right. Like, that's I always my problem. Like, getting to 10 means that someone was going to be left out because it was either Quebec City or Halifax that would get the team. I just don't know where you'd hype it. Because an 11-team league just feels... Like, 19-team league is stupid. But at least yeah. at least we've yeah. hit all the... Ma- all the Like, every team that, ha- that has a city, with the exception of, like, Regina... And even Regina, it's the capital of Saskatchewan. You hit all the big cities in Canada. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, like and, and if I was going wild, London, you couldn't put it in Mississauga. Right? Like, it'd have to be west. If you if it's Halifax and Quebec mm-hmm. City, and you have six East teams, it's got to be west of Manitoba. Where where's that other where's that other spot? I know you you know Saskatchewan is Rough Rider country, but I just I, I see it more like. I see it more likely a team in Saskatoon than a team in Victoria. Like I yeah. see the BC Lions as the BC Lions, like yeah. one province is, you know, you know what I mean? You don't see the, you don't see it, the right. You think, you think Saskatchewan. I do. That, yeah. But you think Saskatchewan's that football mad that they would, they would support a, a second team. I think, th- I think they might, I think they might. I don't know. Like I know that the, in Saskatoon, Saskatoon, they uh, follow the riders really closely as well. But I think that you could just probably, a city rivalry between those two cities. Yeah. And if you put a team there, I, I could see them doing okay. I, I, I think that two teams in Saskatchewan, theoretically, in the perfect situation, could work I, I, better than any other place in the West. Yeah, I just, whenever I think of a second team in Saskatchewan, I just think of all the talk of putting a second NHL team in Toronto. And it's like, right. guys, you put, in, you put an NHL team in Markham, and yeah, the Leaf games will do really well when they are out there if they're cheaper tickets. But Hockey fans and, and having lived in I lived in Toronto for almost a decade. Hockey fans in Toronto. This kind of goes back to your rant about sports fans in Canada. Hockey fans in Toronto are not hockey fans; they're Leaf fans. Like it's mm-hmm. very evident that it's they love the Leafs yeah. and they don't really care about the. Now, now that, obviously that's a generalization, but they're right. they're Leaf. I mean, fans but they they avoid they avoid putting junior major junior teams in Toronto yeah. for a reason, right? I mean, yeah. the 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 Toronto AHL team the. Uh, Whatever they call, I don't think they do too well either. I mean, they just they're just a MLSC product because they want them. But they, I'm yeah. pretty sure, you know, they're not making money off them or anything. The Marlies. No, and that that's always been the problem with me. Is like, man, a 12 team CFL that would be cool. But I just don't. Right. Unless, 
Unless you Let's just be happy if we get to 10. I mean, we well, definitely yeah. should be happy if we get 10, but maybe you go to one of those states. It has to be the right market, right? It but, has to be and that's like the problem is, is you St. Go Louis. West, you go west, that's just it, like St. Louis, but that's kind of far. But you go, you could go St. Louis. Right. But if you go to any of like the border states, like you're not going to Washington because it's Seattle or nowhere, and you're not putting a CFL team in Seattle. Even though Seattle's mm-hmm. pretty sports mad. Like they, they do well with their MLS, right. but they have this football team. They're not going to go support another one. They have and two football teams. You have the it's, XFL it's, team, and they haven't been supporting the X. They, yeah. The thing that worries, anyways, the thing that worries me about the XFL is in Seattle, where they're so sports crazy. They supported it the first time around in like yeah. 2020, and this time around, it's been they haven't been showing up. So yeah, and then yeah. you look at you look at those other like kind of border states, like you're putting a team in Iowa, Idaho, Portland. I mean, yeah, maybe. I mean, Portland could work. That's a natural rival for the Lions. It's far enough away where they, they don't wouldn't eat into their, and they don't have, they have a good, like Oregon has a good college football community. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. Portland could work. I don't know. Anyway, it's just a, that's a, you know, we got off topic. That's another thought for another day, hypothetical 12 teams and where we could put them. Maybe that'll be a question mm-hmm. we'll do one week, but uh, we've gone long. So that was pod to be for this week. I'm Josh Smith. I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.